just three weeks ago. No, less than three weeks ago. Basically just a few days ago, there were three young people full of life and full of love. Their names were John, Carolyn, and Laureen. They were on their way to a wedding and John took off in his new little plane that was like a little super plane and they never made it. For a while we were told it was a search and rescue, then it became a search and recover. Just a few days ago, we heard the news that they were, they'd found the bodies and they were being cremated. And then I guess every person here watched as the US warship went out and with the loved ones on board, and then they scattered the ashes over the tail of the, pla- of the, of the ship. Somebody said to me, a friend of mine said to me, it seems all so purposeless, doesn't it? Just a few days ago, they were full of life and love. And now they're simply dust somewhere in the ocean, lost. What is the purpose? Is there any purpose? If there is no personal creator God, then there is no purpose. But the good news, my friend, there is a loving creator God who cares for us and no person is lost. John is not lost, nor is Carolyn, neither is Laureen. They are all in the hands of Almighty God. I have been reading through a very interesting book and I, I would recommend it to you. It's entitled, The Mind of God. It's a book on science. It is not the easiest book to read. It's a book on scientific discoveries. It is written by Paul Davies, who is a professor, the professor of mathematical physics at the University of Adelaide in Australia. I want to read you some, some statements out of this book. This man is not a believer. This man is not a Christian. But one of the themes of the book is this, that the universe amazingly operates according to the laws of mathematics. It's not a case of scientists making up these laws. They are simply discovering these laws. And remember, this is written by a man who does not claim to believe in God. He says, curiously, the laws have been invested by scientists with many of the qualities that were formerly attributed to the God from whom they were once supposed to have come. First and foremost, the laws are universal. They're also perfect. The laws are absolute. So we arrive at another important truth. They are eternal. The timeless, eternal characters of the the laws is reflected in the mathematical structures employed to model the physical world. Then he says, the laws are omnipotent. They are all powerful. They are also, in a loose sense, omniscient, commanding. This much is generally agreed by all people. The question that many scientists are now facing for the first time in their lives is this, where did these laws come from if there is no God? And on the last page of his book that I certainly recommend to you, it's a marvelous book, this book, The Mind of God, he says this, 
The central theme that I've explored in this book is that through science, we human beings are able to grasp at least some of nature's secrets. We have cracked part of the cosmic code. What does it mean? What is man that we might be party to such privilege? I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate, an accident of history, an incidental blip in the great cosmic drama. This can be no trivial detail, no minor, no minor byproduct of mindless, purposeless forces. We are truly meant to be here. Many cosmologists who for many, many years were atheists are coming to the viewpoint that it is, it is becoming harder and harder not to recognize the fact that we are meant to be here and that indeed there is a great personal creator God. And if this is so, my friend, we are never lost and we are never alone. And if this is so, life has got meaning and there's no such thing as a purposeless act in spite of tragedies, in spite of pain, and in spite of loss, there is still purpose because there is a creator God. Let me tell you today that happiness, and even more importantly, joyfulness and fulfillment are found in a personal relationship with the creator God who is the God of the law of mathematics. Would you please come with me to Matthew chapter 11 as we talk today about God's rest. Matthew chapter 11, dear friends. I want you to notice the words of Jesus, Matthew 11 and verse 28 and onwards and everybody in the church please turn to the texts. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If there's someone watching today and that person doesn't understand, that person says, I've got no peace, I've got no happiness, I want to make a suggestion to you, try belief in God, that there is a personal creator God who made you. Did you know this, that man creates his own hell when he separates himself from his God and his creator and his best friend? Some say that the greatest Christian of the 20th century is the Russian philosopher and theologian Alexander Solzhenitsyn who went through hell for many years in concentration camps in Russia. A man who bled and who was tortured for his faith. And recently, Alexander Solzhenitsyn has lived here in the United States of America. He has gone back to Russia, but he found asylum here in the United States of America. And while he was living here in the United States of America, he said, we are in the midst of a great country that is a very sick country. He said, not only my land of Russia, but he said, there is a great sickness that is pervading the human race. And then he said the words, Man has forgotten God. Amen. And what we are seeing today is the consequence of his forgetfulness. I will never forget in 1971, in a Russian winter, standing just off Red Square, 
after having run the first ever evangelistic campaign in the ex-Soviet Union, glory be to God, and I was standing there by myself and I was watching the crowd go by. I was looking at those faces. It was bitterly cold. There was snow in the air. The snow was falling and the wind was like a wetted knife. And as I stood there, a Russian came up to me clad in his overcoat, holding it shut against the cold. And he said to me in broken English, go back and tell the Americans, this is the hell that we have created for ourselves. He said, this is the hell. As I go there in a few days and I see the suffering and the poverty, I recognize that Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right. Man has forgotten God. And this is the hell that we have created for ourselves. If only men and women who are scientists and not scientists would come to the recognition that the evidence today is coming in, coming in, that there is indeed a God and science is indicating it. So man has created his own hell. But, and this is an important but, it need not be. Man was made to enjoy fellowship with his creator. Ours is an exalted destiny. We were not made for things. In America today, in this wonderful boom, almost everybody is absorbed with materialism. I will tell you, my friend, it doesn't satisfy. Man will never be satisfied with things. St. Augustine, the great Roman Catholic theologian said, man was made for God and he cannot rest until his soul rests in God. The dollar bill is not going to satisfy you because the more you get, the more you want to get. And today people are engaged in this futile, frantic search for happiness. Happiness is found in a relationship with the creator. Ours is an exalted destiny to know joy and to know love and to know life and to know happiness because the creator said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And if you are on the treadmill of materialism, I say to you, friend, get off it and come apart and rest a while and worship the Creator. God has given us what one theologian called the anchor for the lonely crowd. I'm going to talk today about the anchor for the lonely crowd and uh, the mark of the beast. What is this anchor for the lonely crowd? This theologian said, We have a vast, lonely, restless crowd like the turbulent sea and there's an anchor. And unless that lonely crowd can hold on to the anchor, the crowd is just storm-tossed and driven, restless forever. The anchor is the belief that there is a creator God and he's alive, and he's well, and he's interested in you and me, and that I, you and I, are children of God. And there's no such thing as a purposeless act. There's no such thing as a meaningless existence. We were made for God. 
and our souls can never rest until they rest in him. I say to you today, come and rest in the creator God. Therefore, let me talk today about a subject that people need to hear desperately. The subject is the seventh day Sabbath, the day of rest. That is the anchor for the lonely crowd because those who keep the Sabbath in the spirit of love and gratitude will never, never, never forget the God who made them or the God who gave his son to die for them. Therefore today, let me talk to you, my beloved friends, about the origin of the Sabbath, the history of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, and its central role in last day events when I believe that the Sabbath will become an issue of worldwide importance. Would you please turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3, dear hearts and gentle people. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3, and this is where we have the first mention of the Sabbath right back in the Garden of Eden when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Genesis 2 verses 1 down to 3. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What a tremendous God this is, my friend. I just wish that every person here could somehow get a glimpse of the greatness of the universe. I've made it a study for years about the bigger the telescopes, thank God we have the Hubble telescope. But there we see a display that is in, inconceivable. It is incomprehensible. As we look back, not thousands of years ago, but look back billions of years ago and see great galaxies, not a few hundred, but billions and billions and billions and billions of galaxies. What a God. And sometimes you and I have got the nerve to distrust him and wonder how we're going to make ends meet when this almighty God who made a billion trillion universe of stars and galaxies, they're even thinking that this universe may not be the only universe. <laughs> The one that started with the Big Bang 13 billion years ago, they're thinking, hey, why should we think that this is the only universe? There may be billions of other universes that we haven't even started to think about yet. And this great God made it all and he made this planet, planet Earth. And the Bible says on the seventh day he rested why did God need to rest? Because he was weary. Our God doesn't get weary. He rested, my friend, because he knew that we, his children, needed to enter into divine rest. The problem is today, if you walk out of this church, you'll find all the supermarkets are going. 
The roads are blocked with motor cars. The 101 as I came in today with Beverly 134 is blocked with motor cars. People are rushing and tearing. You turn on television, you turn on CNN, what do you get? Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street. How you can make another buck? I tell you, my friend, we need to recognize that there is a God who made us and we can never be satisfied with things and we need to come apart and worship him. And so God said, I'm going to give you something to help you. I'm going to give you the Sabbath. And the Bible tells us right at the very beginning of time, hundreds, thousands of years before the great Jewish nation, the Bible tells us that God rested on the seventh day. And when he rested on the seventh day, he wove the Sabbath day into the fabric of the universe. Did you hear this? He wove the Sabbath day into the fabric of the universe. He wove it into time. And the Bible says it became a blessed day. And it became a rest day. And the Sabbath goes back to the very, very beginning of time. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ said the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And when Jesus said man, he was using it in the same sense as Paul says, the woman was made for man. And man there means mankind. The Sabbath was made for the American. It was made for the Russian. It was made for the Jew. It was made for the Gentile. It was made for the man on Wall Street. It was made for the carpenter. It was made for all men. The Sabbath was made for man. If you are a part of mankind, you need the Sabbath. You need it. Don't come and argue to God and say, hey, you're the creator, but I'm smarter than you. I don't even, even think about that. God gave you the Sabbath because you need divine rest from human restlessness. And so when you come to Genesis 2, there you got the Sabbath. Then when you come through to Exodus chapter 16, before the law of God is given on Mount Sinai, you have the giving of the manna. And then for a period of 40 years, you know the Bible story in Exodus 16, that the manna fell on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on Friday there was a double portion. You know the story. You can read it at your own leisure. And the Bible tells us on the seventh day, there was none of the manna. And God said to the people for 40 years, I'm telling you this so that you'll learn to keep the Sabbath. God must think this Sabbath is important. It's important because we need it. And then you come through to the book of Isaiah. And maybe you should turn to that passage. Come over here to Isaiah chapter 56. We've got more texts than we've got time. But I want you to come over here to Isaiah. Uh, please chapter 56 and verses 2 and onwards. And this is a wonderful text, dear friend. This is the book that talks about the Messiah. Blessed. Who wants a blessing? Okay. Blessed is the man who does this. The man who holds it fast. Who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, 
To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called Seth, a house of prayer for all nations. The Sabbath was not just given to the Jews. Yes, it was given to the Jews. But it was given to more than the Jews. It was given to the human race. And the Jews are a part of the human race. But in Isaiah, right here in this chapter, it tells us, chapter 56, it tells us that the Sabbath was given to all people. And the Bible says, if you want to be blessed, then you need to come apart and worship God. Now, I, I tell you today, I know what our problem is. We're so smart that we're too smart for our own good. We're so smart, we think we're smarter than the almighty God. You see, God tells us, come apart and keep the Sabbath. Oh, we say, now I got a bit of business to take care of. You know what you're doing? You're saying to God, you're smarter than him. I want to say to that person, you need to wise up. You need to get the wisdom of God. As one man said, we need to come apart before we come apart. And God has placed in this book a holy day. And God tells you that you need that day because you and I are feeble and frail and we need the rest that we find in Christ. Did you know that Adam and Eve needed the Sabbath even when they were sinless? If sinless human beings need the Sabbath, how much more people living right here in Los Angeles in this rat race of a place? I ask you. God gave us the Sabbath because we need it. Did you know this? Now we know how the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed, don't we? We know how it's been torn into a million pieces. Did you know that if the people of God had always kept the Sabbath, Jerusalem would never have been destroyed. Amen. I'm going to show it to you. Come over here to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, dear hearts and gentle people. And we're told why Jerusalem was destroyed, why God said, all right, let it be destroyed. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for everything, my friend. Nothing is without purpose. There's a reason for everything. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 19 and onwards. You can write down these texts. I haven't put the verses, but you can find them easily yourself. Jeremiah chapter 17. And we're going to start at verse 19. Have you got it? Amen. You're ready to go. Yeah. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and all people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who comes through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Now, before we go any further, if God were sending a prophet here today, you know what he'd say to you? Be careful not to go to Kmart. That's what he'd say. Be careful not to go to the sale. Don't do those things. 
Sin is sin. And the breaking of the law of God is sin. Now some people are so smart they think that they can break the law of God. I tell you my friend, the law of God has never been broken. You can't break the law of God, but you can break yourself. And after those laws have been broken, as we say a billion times, there's not a chink on the enamel. You don't hurt God, but God has given us these laws and he said, don't do it. Don't do it, he said. Now verse 21, verse 22. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They just went to sleep in church. In fact, these folks didn't even go. They didn't listen. And Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And he was preaching the word of God to those people. But they didn't even listen to the word of God. They were stiff-necked. They're stubborn people. Would not listen or respond to discipline. Stubborn people. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. People will come from the towns of Judah and the villages around Jerusalem from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothills from the hill country of the Negev bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings, incense and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Jerusalem was destroyed because the people disobeyed the voice of the prophets of God and because they broke the Sabbath. And the Bible says they were stiff-necked. Now my friend, it's important that a person have conviction. It's important that a person can stand up for what he thinks is right. But stubbornness in evil is an iniquity. And the Bible tells us that Jerusalem was destroyed because the people refused to obey the word of God. I want to tell you today, God is calling every person in this church to come into a right relationship with the great creator God and to show that love relationship by coming to church and keeping the Sabbath. Amen. Now, let me deal with one of the greatest myths in the world. One of the greatest myths in Christendom is this, that Jesus... All the apostles changed the Sabbath. That's a myth. It's not, not the truth. There's not a text in the Bible that says that Jesus abolished the Sabbath. I could give you seven examples of our Lord's Sabbath keeping. I'm going to give you just a few little, I'm just going to give you a little material, not some little stuff, but just a, a little bit of it. I want you to come over here to John chapter 5, please. Come over here, please, with me to John chapter 5, dear hearts and gentle people. And we're going to notice the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ towards his Sabbath. It's his Sabbath, you know, not my Sabbath. John chapter 5, and here is a man who has been an invalid. 
Notice verse three, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, one who had been, uh, one who was there had been an invalid for how long? 38 years, an invalid, couldn't walk for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into, into the pool when the water is stirred. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. That's not true. No, they're quoting their traditions, but they had a problem like we have today in confusing the law of God with our own man-made traditions. But Jesus was releasing a man. That's not breaking the Sabbath. Verse 11. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Then you come down a little further. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus, my friend, I want you to get this. Jesus risked his life and his mission to show people the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day when the lame can walk again. Amen. We got lots of lame people in this church. Maybe not physically lame, but spiritually lame. You need to come to church and learn to walk again. Amen. And then you come over here. To, we're not going to look up these texts, but you come over here to, to John chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 12, and you read there the story of a man who was blind. And Jesus met him on the Sabbath and Jesus put some mud on his eyes and Jesus gave him the gift of sight on the Sabbath. And the Jews said, we're going to kill him for that. We're going to kill Jesus for that because he's breaking the Sabbath. Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is the greatest law keeper. He's the creator. Jesus was keeping the Sabbath when he gave people the ability to walk and the ability to see. We got lots of blind people watching this program. We got lots of blind people in this church. You read the Bible and you haven't got a clue what it means. You're blind. That's why you need to come to church. Amen. Some of you sit here in church and you don't even open up your Bible. I know why you don't open up your Bible because it's, you don't understand it. Just a lot of words. You need to meet the creator God and then you'll see. That's why God gave us the Sabbath. And in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, you got the story of a man who had a twisted hand. And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, my friend, is a day for the twisted to get straightened out. We've got plenty of people in this church and they're twisted too. They need to be straightened out and they get straightened out when they come to church and they learn to worship God. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, right at the very end of time, the Lord said, pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Doesn't sound like the Sabbath was going to be abolished. And then you come to Revelation 1.10 and it talks about the Lord's Day. 
Right at the very end of scripture, my friend, there is a Lord's day. It is the day that the Lord made. It is the Sabbath day. It is the blessed day. It is the rest day. It is the best day. And soon it's going to be the test day for the world. Then did you know this? Right at the very end of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, Isaiah the prophet says that people in heaven are going to keep the Sabbath. Did you know that? It says that. The people in the earth made new when paradise is brought back to this world and sin is abolished. The Bible says God's people are going to come to church and they're going to keep the seventh day Sabbath. I tell you, my friend, I don't want to pretend to be smarter than the creator God. Listen to this. The purpose of the Sabbath, an anchor for the lonely crowd. I know what some of you are like in my congregation and those who watch on television. You serve God when it's convenient. It is time for us to worship the Lord our God. Amen. It was given as, as an anchor for the lonely crowd to bring healing and hope and restoration. As Sam Bakiaki calls it, divine rest for human restlessness, a window on eternity, a holiday with God. You and I need the Sabbath unless we are smarter than God. Now, the place of the Sabbath in last day events. Would you please come to Daniel 7, verse 25. Please look up the text if you don't mind. And if you do mind, still look it up. Daniel 7 and verse 25. He shall speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. The Bible says that this day that points us to the Creator, this day that tells us that life is complete, life has got meaning, life has got purpose, the Bible tells us that a great church came into the world and with an impious hand changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day. My beloved Protestant friends say, John Carter, Paul did it. No, he didn't. They say, Jesus did it. No, he didn't. There is no evidence at all in the scriptures for the change of the Sabbath except where God predicted that the Antichrist would do it. And here somewhere I've got some books I do believe. Here is a classic, The Faith of Millions, The Credentials of the Catholic Religion by John A. O'Brien, which I will be forgiven for saying is a mighty fine name. Seeing my great, great Grandfather's name was Timothy Dewey. John A. O'Brien, The Credentials of the Catholic Religion. 
The word Sabbath means rest and is Saturday, the seventh day of the week. The church received the authority to make such a change from her founder, Jesus Christ. He solemnly conferred upon the church the power to legislate, govern, and administer the power of the keys. But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Yes, of course, it is inconsistent, says the priest, and he is correct. And the Church of Rome is entirely consistent on the Sabbath question. Protestantism isn't. The Church of Rome says we have the power to change the day. Now, of course, she doesn't. This change was made before Protestantism was born. And by that time, the custom was universally observed. They've continued the custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text of the Bible. That observance remains as a reminder of the Mother Church from which the non-Catholic sects broke away. Like a boy running away from home, but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. And then I have here the famous Kenan's Catechism. Yes, we change the day. What is your authority? We change the day from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Kenan's Catechism. The Church of Rome is honest and consistent because they believe, because they are the true church, that they have the authority to change the day. Now listen carefully. Bible, you may find this hard to believe. Bible prophecy teaches that in the last days there is going to come another dark ages, a time of persecution. The churches are going to unite and then join with the state. And the Bible tells me they are going to enforce the mark of their authority. The Bible says in Revelation 13, and perhaps you should read the text, Revelation 13, 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16 and 17. Revelation 13 and verse 16 and 17, dear hearts. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm told in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 and verse 20, that the Sabbath is the sign of a mark of Almighty God. That is not my opinion. The Sabbath is the sign of the mark of Almighty God. And the mark of the beast is the change of the blessed Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day of the week. On one occasion, the Church of Rome quite honestly said, of course we change the day and the change 
is the mark of our authority in religious matters. Do not pretend that Jesus did it. No, no, no. Do not blame the Bible writers for this great sin. The Bible says it was the church of the dark ages. And the church of the dark ages says it is the sign, it is the mark that we are the true church. I'm here to tell you today, God's Sabbath is the blessed day. It is the rest day. It is the best day. It is also the test day. The day is going to come my American friends, when starting here in this land where liberty has been a hallowed concept, when liberty will be taken away, when there will come a great church state organization that will compel everybody to step into line and they will enforce the mark of the beast or Sunday keeping as was done in the Middle Ages. And in this day, God is going to have his heroes who are going to say, we will follow Christ and we will follow our creator, God, by the grace of God. Amen. God has his heroes in this generation. I think of the wards that I baptized in a little town by the name of Parks on the outer Baku where the church is a few and men of religion are scanty, on a path seldom crossed, saved by folks that are lost. And I can remember those folks, that's from Banjo Patterson that none of my American friends have never heard about, but that's okay. But these folks were wheat farmers, had great farm, thousands of acres, miles of golden wheat. When they heard this truth, they struggled with it. But when they discovered what it meant, they gave the command, as the sun before the sun sinks in splendor in the golden west, turn off the harvesters. Come in and open the Sabbath and let us go to church on the Sabbath day. That takes courage. Turn off the harvesters. Turn off the television. Turn off Macy's. Turn off your employment. Worship God. Amen. I can think of one of our pastors in Africa in one of these totalitarian dictatorial organizations. He was told, bring all your church members as volunteers to work for the state. He said, okay. So they worked on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. When the sun went down, the pastor said, my people are not going to work anymore. I want to tell you today, I wish that God could breathe into every one of you the courage of that black African pastor and give us some stiffing in our backbones Amen. so that we will stand for God. Amen. And so they took that pastor, his that government, they hung him up overnight by the wrists and they beat him and they bashed him and they beat him like that and they said, we will beat you until you bring your people to work on the Sabbath. He said, never, never. And they made such a mess of him that when his wife was allowed to come and see him a week later, he said, do not pray, do not pray for anything. Pray that I will die. I cannot take the pain. 
Some of us can't help ourselves. On the Sabbath, off to Macy's. Anything else? When is God going to move upon his people so they will be true to the Lord God of heaven? I have a message to tell you today. It is not a candy-coated gospel. It is the gospel of the living God that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and be obedient. It is a gospel that believes in a creator God down with this nonsense of evolution, which has no proof. I've studied it inside, outside, backside, front side, just a lot of rubbish. Sorry. As one of my friends said in Australia, my ancestors might have swung by their necks, but they didn't swing by their tails. I believe. I believe. The rest of you will get it later. I believe in a God who made me. I believe in a God who gave his commandments on Mount Sinai. I believe in a Christ who came and died on the cross for me. I believe in a Christ who said, it's my day. I believe in a Christ to put his life on the line to show us the importance of the Sabbath. I believe that in the last days, and I seem to think we're living there, that it's going to become a great test. Would you like to know what you're going to be like in five years' time, if time lasts? Would you like to know? Just what you're now, only more so. If you're late to church now, you're going to be late to church then. If you put the world instead of Christ now, you're going to be like that now. Because time does not change us. It confirms us. There's only one thing that can turn a man or a woman around, and that is the hand of God upon his shoulder, where God says, it is time that you woke up and gave your life to Christ and committed yourself to God and obeyed my word. And I pray today that the hand of Almighty God will be upon you today, that God will take you and take me and give us a good shake-up for Christ. Shake us up. So that it will be said of us, as it is written in the Apocalypse, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Please kneel. Almighty God, your word speaks with power to us today. We thank you that there's a gospel that says, even though we've goofed up and made a mess of the past, that the blood of Jesus covers our sins when we confess them. And today we come in repentance to the cross and we say we're sorry. God, give us the courage and the faith of the men and the women of the Bible. Like Mr. and Mrs. Ward, who turned off the tractors, the harvesters, at sunset. Help us to turn them off too. Forgive us, Father, 
for our indolence in going to church. But we go to church when the Spirit moves us. But the problem is that the Spirit that is often moving us is the Spirit of the world, the Spirit of sin, but not the Spirit of God. We want to be moved today by you. We want you to come into our hearts that we will resolve today that by the grace of God, we will be your children. Forgive us for our sins. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. Justify us by the precious blood of the Lamb. And teach us today to walk with you and to have an experience with the God who made the stars and the God who made this planet, the God who made Adam and Eve, and the God who made each one of us and says, come walk with me and I will teach you the ways of peace, and the ways of joy, and the ways of contentment. Our Father, today we're looking forward to the day when the battle is going to be over and all the saints of God, as recorded in Isaiah 66, from one Sabbath to another, are going to come up to the new Jerusalem and worship the Creator God. We recognize, our Father, that if we're going to do it then, we better start to do it now. Amen. We realize that good intentions are not what we need. It is the breath of the Almighty. And oh God, today put your hand upon our shoulder and turn us around and speak your peace to our hearts and put some stiffing in our backbones and make us men and women of quality and integrity and amazing courage. So bless these precious people your sheep, watch over them, heal broken hearts, touch them today as we give ourselves to you. As we're praying here in church with our heads bowed, and our eyes closed in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, how many will raise a hand and say, by God's grace I will follow Jesus and I will keep the Sabbath? Would you raise your hand? Lift it up high. I will follow Jesus. I will keep the Sabbath. In the spirit of Jesus, I'll do it because I love him. I won't do it like the old Pharisees. I'll do it as an act of gratitude because I love him. Dear Father, bless these upraised hands. Bless these dear people. We do want to serve you. We want to be true to you. Come into our hearts. We dedicate ourselves to you today. We worship you, bless you, love you. In Jesus' name, amen.